the context of the church. And Lord, with that awareness and that understanding that we as the body of Christ would celebrate that and would desire to see that take place, as well as to respond uh, by humbling ourselves to the, the ministry, Lord, of those that you've put over us. Lord, would you, would you help us today to be teachable, to be humble before you, to allow your Holy Spirit to, to have his way, to convict us if necessary, and uh, Lord, to, to glorify you, Lord, with, with how we are listening and, 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 and absorbing what it is that you are speaking to us, Lord, through, uh, through this messenger. Lord, allow me simply to be a mouthpiece for what you want to accomplish. We ask in your name. Amen. Um, you may be seated. If you are w- visiting with us this morning, we certainly welcome you. We, we are excited that you're here. We're glad that you've uh, decided to come and be a part of Gateway. And we, are, uh, we typically go through a book of the Bible, and what we are doing right now is we paused, and uh, we are in the process of getting to a place where we are wanting to establish a biblical eldership. We have three men that have been in that prospective eldership place for about uh, 20 months now, and we want to we move ahead uh, to see eldership finally established as a plurality in our church. And so we're going through this, this, this series to help us understand what that all looks like. And uh, we've covered a number of things. We've, we've looked at the beauty of God's church. We've looked at Jesus, um, the, uh, the, the prime shepherd in Psalm 23. Uh, last week, we looked at kind of the structure of the church, looking through history and what the church looks like and how it's organized. And uh, I was actually really encouraged. A number of you came up to me and said, Pastor Rod, thank you so much for, for doing that because it just helped me to see and understand you know, various churches I've been in and, and, and how it all kind of... Um, is laid out in different denominations. And, and we want to simply go to God's word and say, what is it that you desire for us to be as a church? And we establish the fact that God calls for um, a, a church to have a plurality of elders, where one of those elders is the chief among uh, um, equals. So he's that, that kind of leader among leaders. And we talk about just some of the ways in which that eldership would function. Today, we want to look specifically uh, more at this issue of the responsibilities of elders. Now, not all churches understand the magnitude of the responsibility of their leaders. Some just want their churches to grow, and they just simply want their leaders to do what they can to get more people to attend, that there be more finances so that you know, church life and ministry can be successful, and you can define that in all sorts of different ways. Others simply want the ministries or programs to run smoothly and to have the necessary resources to do that. And so they simply want their leaders to be managers of people who are managing the ministries and resources. Many have not really considered the teaching of Scripture and and what God expects of those who hold the office of shepherd. They don't understand the calling that is placed on the biblical shepherd. They don't understand the priorities that God calls for. They don't recognize how, how hard God comes down on those who are in leadership, who don't listen to his counsel, and who abuse their leadership positions. And that translated means that there is confusion and distortion of what the role of elder really is. And to be sure... Um, as we, as we um, consider this, this function of, of leader, elder, shepherd, overseer, um, 
we, we recognize that there is a distinction laid out for us, even in Scripture, about what is healthy and what is not healthy. In fact, John chapter 10 that we just read reveals for us a comparison of what is good and what is not good. John chapter 10 and verse 12 and following, and here's what it says. He who is a hired hand, and the old King James, this person was called a hireling, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And so this person is hired to care for the the sheep that are in the fold. He's a hired hand. But when the wolf comes, he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Now that picture of scattering isn't like, you know, run. It's the scattering that happens after they've ravaged those sheep. They're scattered all over the place. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And so as we think about this comparison, there is this hired hand who is purely in it for himself. He's being paid to do a job, but he really doesn't care about the sheep. And if it comes to times of danger, he will flee and leave the sheep helpless and defenseless. And in a contemporary sense, that means that if there is a need for toughness in standing for God's truth, he will capitulate to what will be more palatable to to the sheep. If it will cost him his job, he will back off and exercise an acceptable form of wisdom rather than speak the truth. If what God says in his word is unpopular, he will be sure to not ruffle anyone's feathers. And if danger lurks outside the fold, but the sheep want to listen to or experience that danger, he either allows the danger in or says nothing about those going outside the fold to experience that danger. Although he may, be truly, he may truly believe that what he is doing is being faithful to God, the reality is that he is being selfish He is spineless, he is a sheep pleaser, and he has abandoned his God-given role as shepherd of the flock. He's a hireling. He's ultimately in it for himself. Now, the other one is the true shepherd. The shepherd, that is a true shepherd, cares for the flock. One cares, the other one doesn't care. He takes on his responsibility as a servant accountable to God. He loves the flock. He longs for their growth in Christ-likeness, and he is willing to stand in the gap when danger comes, even if it means sacrificing his own life. So in a contemporary sense, that means if there is a need for toughness in standing for the truth, he willingly accepts it, even if the sheep don't like it. It will cost him his job if he seeks to honor God, but he doesn't care because being faithful to God and being faithful to the sheep is his primary responsibility. If what God's word says is unpopular, and it is, isn't it? If it is unpopular among the sheep, he will do all he can to preach it and teach it faithfully, confronting the sin as well as nurturing those who are struggling in the bondage of sin. If danger lurks outside the flock, but the sheep want to listen to that danger, he is willing to stand between the sheep and the danger, warning them, teaching them, exposing them 
to the danger for what it is. He recognizes that his responsibility is first and foremost to God and then to the flock that God has called him to shepherd. Now, friends, this this comparison is so clear here. There's a hired hand and there is the real shepherd. And so a shepherd is not called to simply serve on a board and make decisions once a month. That is not what a shepherd is called to do. That's not what an elder is called to do. He is not called to a selfish, self-serving prestigious seat in the organization. No, he comes to his responsibility with gravity, with humility, with genuine love for God and his flock. He takes care of the sheep seriously and seeks to honor God with his under-shepherd responsibility. He truly loves the flock of God that is under his care. One doesn't care one cares. There's a pastor from the late 1700s by the name of John Fawcett, and there's the story basically of of his experience, because he was actually pretty well known and pretty well liked. He'd written a lot of things, and he became kind kind of popular, but his legacy was that he served in this kind of impoverished village in the northern part of of England called Waynesgate. And he was going to leave that town after being there just for a few years, and as everything was packed up and ready to go, the wagons right, were ready to, to go out. The, the church family in that village came out to say goodbye, and they came out weeping, and they came out saddened. And Mrs. Fawcett broke down. This is what she said to her husband, John, I cannot bear to leave. I know not how to go. And he responded by saying, neither can I. And the order was made to unpack the wagons. And he served there for a total of 50 years. Now, the the, the point here is this. It's not simply the fact that he spent 50 years. The point is that there was a connection with a flock, and it was a connection out of love for the intimacy and the relationships and the care of that flock that ruled the day. In fact, Soon after that experience, he wrote actually a pretty familiar song for many of us, in particular those of us that are a little older. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like that or like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims, our one, our comforts and our cares. We share each other's woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other's flaws or flows, the, the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. And I'm just thinking about Gateway. I'm just thinking about the relationships that we are establishing. I'm thinking about Austin leaving today or sometime this week. I'm just thinking about how does God bring people together and knit them together, and the beauty of that relationship. Church is not just an organization. It's a church, and it's a unique, it's a unique organism that God has created for His glory, and it is tied together with affection, with love, and with care. And God then has established that those 
that are to lead that particular flock are to lead then with a, a heart and an attitude of love and care for that flock. It's not just a matter of gathering once a month and making decisions for a church. It's a matter of shepherding, of overseeing, of being, um, being mindful of the needs and the hurts and the struggles of the people. So there, there is the heart of a true shepherd of God. He is sinful, yes, but he's saved and called to ministry. He loves God and he takes his responsibility seriously. He loves and cares for God's sheep and it is evident by his commitment to them. As we saw last week, there were three words that are used interchangeably to talk about this plurality of leaders. Elders, which describe really who that person is. A shepherd really kind of describes the, the, the feelings that he has. He, he, he's a shepherd who cares. He's a shepherd who's, who's longing to look out for them. There's a kind of attitude that, are going, that is going on there. And there's this bishop overseer. This identifies what he does. Okay? Now, each of, each of these words are going to be used interchangeably. And, and in particular, for our time today, we're going to be focusing on three main texts of Scripture. John 10, which we've read already. 1 Peter 5, which we've also read at the beginning. And then also Acts chapter 20, verses 25 through 31. Now, there are other passages that will come up too. But primarily, our thoughts and, and where we're going this morning come from these texts of Scripture. And what I would like to present to you is that in each of these texts, um, they, they shed light on six primary responsibilities of an elder shepherd overseer. So six primary responsibilities of that overseer, that shepherd, and that uh, elder. And I would like to read John chapter 10, beginning at 11 again. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the first thing I want us to see as as, as shepherds, as elders, as ones who have been given the responsibility to reflect Christ in the context of the local church, it is our responsibility to know the sheep. Now Jesus, the good shepherd, modeled for us the fact that we need to know the sheep. He knows the sheep, and those sheep know him. And so as elders, we want to be like Christ, and we want to know the sheep. And, and the question then is, how are we going to go about doing that? How do elders seek to know the sheep? The bottom line would be by spending time with them. All right? I mean, shepherd doesn't kind of go off into a restaurant and just kind of you know, look out on the distance. Oh, the sheep doing fine, good. I'll get back on my computer and my internet. No, the shepherd's there with the sheep. He's spending time with the sheep. So in other words, shepherding involves a personal touch where healthy, meaningful conversation is taking place between shepherd and sheep. And so there's a number of implications that flow out of that. Shepherding is not taking place at a distance from a boardroom. Uh, hear this, to think that an elder can shepherd from a distance is to fail to understand the heart and function of a shepherd. How can an elder make honest decisions about a flock when he really doesn't know them? 
How can he assess their spiritual condition when he hasn't really assessed their spiritual condition? So, the implications then, first of all, is the need for hospitality. It's foundational. And that's why we find, as one of the qualifications for eldership, is that the man must be hospitable. Now, you know, I mean, I think most people who maybe, maybe not, you know, too well-versed in the, in the Word of God would, would come to a passage um, where it says that an elder must be hospitable, and, and they think to themselves, but isn't hospitality really a female gift? Isn't it really a female responsibility? You say, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, there's the Martha Stewart's of this world, right? But it's not about the flowers, and it's not about, you know, the bowls, and it's not about the, the welcome mat and how nice the curtains are and that kind of stuff. It's about wanting to have people just sit at your table and fellowship with you and spend time with them. It's opening up your home. It's, it's being welcoming in that sense. And so that's why it's there as one of the qualifications for eldership. But the, this also implies then the role of home groups or small groups in that particular elder ministry. If you want your shepherd to know you better, it would be wise for you to place yourself in the arenas where shepherds are exercising their gifts. And we in our church have created a, you know, some scenarios for that. Our, our primary meat and potatoes, guys, is Sunday morning and home groups. We structured that at the beginning of the church to say, listen, we want to have proclamation of the Word of God on a Sunday morning, and we want home groups to be a place where in smaller settings with a group of people that can be a, a tighter knit, can flesh out and apply what has been taught. And those home groups then are overseen by our prospective elders. And so there's a need for us to recognize that a home group context is a great place for you to get to know a shepherd or for a shepherd to get to know the sheep. And so understand this, if you are able to be a part of a home group, but you choose not to for whatever reason, then you're making a decision to not be in a context of greater knowing and intimacy with your shepherd. And if you're asked to meet with a shepherd, maybe for coffee or for lunch, or maybe as a shepherding couple, that would be the husband and wife, but you push back that meeting, you stay away, you're making a decision to not develop that intimacy. There's a need to know, but that need to know is also reciprocal. But it is their responsibility. A faithful shepherd would seek to know the sheep, but the sheep must also be willing to be known. It also implies the need then for a plurality of elders. There's wisdom and there's a necessity for a plurality of elders. Why? Because one man cannot effectively know a flock. Now, I realize you may have grown up in a church where there was one pastor for 300 people, and I'm just here to tell you, one pastor cannot shepherd a flock of 300 people effectively by himself. That is not what God intended. And in fact, if you remember last week, we talked about this you know, Reaganomics in the church, the responsibility of that, that first among equals to pour time and effort into those shepherds so that those shepherds now could go out and to carry out the ministry. And there's a trickle-down kind of a thing going on. Now, there's no biblical reality to th this number I'm going to give you, but the, you know, they say that 
that about 50 people is about the, the most that one person can handle as a shepherd to be effective. So you got to think, okay, where is our church right now? On a Sunday morning, typically we'll have anywhere from, you know, from maybe 50 to 70-something adults. And we're trying to break them down in different groups, and we're hoping that God, over time, is going to grow things. And so we want to make sure that home groups and that kind of shepherding responsibility is fleshed out in our church effectively. So there's a need for a team of under-shepherds who can share that oversight and care of the flock, each shepherding a smaller flock, each taking on responsibilities and opportunities for hospitality, and each seeking to know their sheep. So the, the, the elder shepherd is seeking to develop an intimate relationship with the sheep, and it is a re relationship that will undergird the other ministry toward them. So anything that we say from now on is undergirded by this, this intimate relationship. Okay, this is really important. It's really hard to do other things in ministry if there isn't a knowing of one another. And when there is a knowing of one another, there's a, things just work much smoother in a greater way. Okay? So here's, here's the second one. Not only do they know the sheep, secondly, they feed the sheep. They have a responsibility to be feeders of the sheep. In the early church, the Word of God was taught not only from the temple arena, but from the house and from house to house. So you have this public proclamation going on, and you also have this house-to-house -house ministry that was taking place. Here's how Paul said it, Acts chapter 20, verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. And he also admonished Timothy with this command. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So it wasn't supposed to be a one-man job. It was supposed to be a plural job, but it was also supposed to be public as well as private. And so what's being revealed in these passages then is the ministry of the Word is central to the life of the church. It's both public and private. The implication then is that following this, this public proclamation, the shepherds would then meet in homes to clarify and explain what had been preached. Now you can go back to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, and you, you have the, the similar kind of model being laid down there where Ezra is reading the word of God, and then it says, and then they, they stopped and they, they, they gave the sense to the people that were there listening. So he would read, and then they would stop, and they would explain it, and they would give the sense. They would explain it and give the sense, and they would go back, and he'd read some more. And so there's this kind of, this trickle-down ministry of the Word of God that was going throughout the church. So the shepherd, then, is, is one who, who feeds the sheep, but is able to take the sheep to the Word of God. And so by implication, then, an elder or the elders are known as men of the Word. So someone who is an elder would have then as their responsibility and their, their, um, their ability to minister the Word of God. Not simply to sit on a board to make decisions because they're wise in the business world. No, their primary purpose is to care for the sheep, love the sheep, and to take the Word of God and minister to the sheep and to feed the sheep. 
That is why one of the qualifications for an elder is that he is able to teach. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. And that qualification doesn't necessarily mean that he's able to stand up and preach in a public setting, but it means that he's able to defend the faith. He's able to explain the word of God. He's able to point out error. Or as Titus 1.9 says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. In another significant passage on eldership, Paul speaks of some elders who labor at preaching and teaching and therefore deserve financial support from their, their local church. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 5, verses 17 and 18. Let me read that. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer it deserves his wages. And so the emphasis here then is this primary role and function of, of, of teaching the word of God, of preaching the word of God. So a faithful elder will not shrink from declaring to the flock the whole counsel of God. They'll be faithful with the word of God to, to present it and to teach all of it. Now the importance of feeding the sheep is evident by the fact that sheep are nearly incapable of feeding or watering themselves properly. They need a shepherd. They require a shepherd. It's not like, oh, the sheep can do all, oh, well, they're fine, they're on their own, but okay, I guess we'll have a leader just to kind of be there. No, no, no. They really, really need a shepherd. Now, I realize this, is, this, this could also be interpreted like, well, you know, there's these elite shepherds, and everyone else in the church are just like, nah, you know, they're just crazy people, right? That's not the idea here. But the point is, the flock has been set up so that leadership will lead, but leadership will lead with the word of God. And it also then implies then that the sheep need that leadership. They need to be led. So the shepherd leads the sheep into green pastures. The shepherd guides the sheep beside still waters. And now, before we put too much importance on the elders, we must remind ourselves that an elder serves the chief shepherd who is ultimately the one who guides the sheep. An elder shepherd is serving, leading, guiding in accordance with Christ. An elder is always there as a vehicle through, through which or through whom Christ is going to work. Always pointing to Christ and always seeking to do what would honor him. Now friends, that's why the apostles, when they were burdened down with ministry details, they were waiting on tables, there were widows and orphans that weren't getting the, the kind of attention they needed to, to, to get, and, and the, the apostles gathered the church together, and here's what we're, we're told, Acts chapter 6, and when the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, get that, it's not right that we should give up preaching. I tell you what, let's just, for the next month, we're not going to study the Word of God at all. We're, it's not even going to be a part of what we're doing. We're just going to try and take care of one another's needs. What's going to happen? Well, first of all, we're going we're to abandon the purpose of taking one another's needs, probably, because we're not spending time in the Word of God. It's the Word of God that feeds us and nourishes us and strengthens us. Well, when leadership gets to the place where they can't 
pay attention to their responsibility because they're taking care of needs. It's not that one is better than the other, but one is a priority over the other by virtue of their responsibility. That's what's going on here. We need help here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And for some people, it's hard to comprehend. So here's an elder, or here's a pastor. I'm, I know I'm speaking about myself, so you're all looking at me and saying, okay, Rod, this is what you struggle with, right? I don't think people necessarily completely understand how much time is put in in the preparation of a sermon. I don't mean that in a braggadocious sense. I just don't, I don't know that everyone understands that. Okay? There's, there's a need to recognize if this is true, prayer and the study of the word is a priority, then why is it not a priority for elders in the context of a church? It is. So tables, widows, and orphans were extremely important, but so was the central reality of the need to feed the flock through the ministry of the word. So they know the sheep, they feed the sheep. The third thing here is this, they guide the sheep, they guide the sheep. So there's two aspects to this responsibility. One is more of a corporate um, aspect and one's a more individual aspect. So let's look at the corporate aspect. And that would be leading the flock, leading, you know, leading the whole church, okay? Elder shepherds are to govern or oversee the flock. They're responsible to be stewards of the flock as household managers, all right? Household managers. Making sure that proper organization, proper structures are in place, that the health of the flock can be maintained by the various organization and structures that are there. So the implication then is that there are obviously going to be business principles going on in the context of a church, right? When we collect money, we hopefully have someone that can count. Now, simply because someone can count does not mean, oh, now we're going church growthy, right? Um, no, you need to be able to count money. That's just being a good steward. Organization is, is good. Management for the right purposes to make sure that right things are getting done is a good thing. But that doesn't mean then that we take business models and say that's how a church should be functioning. But there are business principles that are always um, in place and should be a part of that organization and that management and that structure. Okay? So that doesn't mean then that, that these elders become board of directors. No, they are, they are managers, they're overseers, they're caring for the flock corporately to make sure that things are in place so that growth toward Christ-likeness can be accomplished and is being accomplished. And there's this big picture of oversight that is necessary for the care of the flock in this way, maintaining integrity in what is taught throughout the church, evaluating people who desire to serve in the flock, determining growth and development as a flock, training and equipping uh, that would be necessary for the flock to develop and grow and to expand. Various forms of basic administration and management are all part of that corporate guiding process. I, I not, friends, I'm going to say something. I don't want you to be offended. I want you to feel loved. We go through lists where your name is on that list, and we ask ourselves the question, how can we pray for this person? Is there any particular need that you are aware of that this person is going through that we can be praying about or that we need to address? You're talking about me. Yes, we are. 
but it's not gossip. It's love. It's care. It's concern. And there's a need to do that. In fact, that is good stuff because we are concerned about the health and well-being of the flock. But the second dynamic here is not just leading the flock, but it's also guiding the individual. Let's put it that way. The elders of the flock will be sensitive to and concerned about the inner turmoil of the sheep. They want to be available to the sheep for times of stressfulness or discouragement or confusion and maybe some difficult decision-making that is before them. And they are, they are called to offer objective biblical direction in the midst of those conflicts and trials, to address distortions of thinking, to help people see what God would say in that context so that they can make a decision or they can respond to what it is they're going through in a way that would honor Him. What we're talking about here is the ministry of counseling. Right? Simply taking God's Word and applying it to people's context. Now, friends, sadly, the last century, much of counseling was kind of taken out of the church. It was pushed out of the church. With the rise of, of uh, psychology and psychiatry, there was this message that went out and said, listen, hey, pastors, elders, you guys, you're just not equipped to handle the real problems in this world. And so you need to hand them over to us. And eh, it might be spiritual issues. You can deal with that. But, you know, when, when you start getting into the serious stuff, you need to call on us. You need to hand it over to us. And so what happened was much of the church just kind of believed that and handed it off. And rather than deal with problems, they, they handed those problems off to other people who, by the way, did not believe in God. In fact, thought and believed that the church was part of the problem that was causing the problem for the people. But that was the norm. Now, thankfully, in more recent years, there's been a renewal and recognition that the elders of the church, as well as other people in the church, are all called to minister to the souls of, the, uh, of their flock. This builds on the last two responsibilities of knowing and able to teach. Right? If you know the people and you're able to teach, what are you able to do? When they're going through trial, you're able to counsel them. You're able to understand what it is. In fact, those times of trial are also opportunities to know. So this all kind of works together. So faithful elder shepherds have the responsibility of giving counsel that comes objectively, uh, uh, comes from objectively applying the Word of God to the problem. He will attempt to comprehend the situation with an objective ear and then seek to give the troubled member the biblical perspective on the problem. And then he will seek to stand beside that person and to help them to walk toward Christ in a, in a way that would be pleasing to him. And that's just Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5. See a man overtaken in a fault? You restore that one in the spirit of meekness. You help them, to help them carry their burden. And then a little later, I think verse 5 talks about so that that person ultimately gets to the place where they're carrying their own burden. There's this process of help and support that comes from those who are elders and shepherds in the church. So guiding, or sorry, yeah, guiding the flock involves a careful biblical counsel, but it also means that the shepherd will both warn and admonish the flock. And it comes by speaking the truth in love to the sheep. 
especially when those sheep are wandering off the path? Is it a kind shepherd that knows the sheep, speaks, his, you know, speaks so that the sheep will hear his voice because there's danger coming? Is that a kindness? Yes. And if that sheep is wandering off, is it a kindness then to go after that sheep? The answer is yes. In fact, Jesus uses as one of his illustrations, he left the 90 and 9 and went after the 1. In one situation, it's talking about going after someone who's a, not a believer and bringing them into the fold. The other illustration is when it is actually a sheep that is in the fold that has wandered off. And elders have a responsibility then to leave the 90 and 9 in those situations and to pursue them. And that also brings us then into this whole context of what we call church discipline. Counseling, caring, guiding here, the flock, the individuals, involves a loving, compassionate, restorative dynamic that is often called church discipline, but it's simply the body of Christ loving on one another to restore people back to where they need to be. And so where, where one sheep has wandered off and is living in sin and has been confronted by one or two witnesses, but that wandering sheep is continuing to, to pursue that sin and is not willing to listen, then those people go to the church leadership. It says, tell it to the church. Well, you don't just stand up in the middle of a church service. You tell the overseers of the church what's going on, and, and they will then kind of pursue that person also and make sure that anything that happens from then on is done in a way that would honor and glorify God. Now, I bring you in that context to Matthew 18, verse 20, which is often quoted out of context. And Matthew 18, verse 20, is on the heels of the whole discussion of church leadership, four steps of church discipline. Sorry, not church leadership, church discipline. And here, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Well, who are part of the two or three that are gathered in my name? In that context, if it gets beyond step two, it involves the elders or some of the elders. Okay? This is all part of caring and loving the sheep, guiding them out of sin into paths of righteousness, into wonderful healthy meadows and cool, refreshing water. So they know the sheep. They feed the sheep. They guide the sheep. Now they comfort the sheep. Friends, God is interested in our human suffering and our spiritual comfort. When you face a trial, when you are hurting, you can be sure that God is aware and that God cares. And God calls elders and shepherds to give spiritual comfort during trials. That's why we find in James chapter 5 the following instructions. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for who? The elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, what is the purpose of the elders attending those who are sick? In the big picture of things, friends, it's, it's, not, it's not just to kind of give them a physical touch, although that might be part of the anointing with oil dynamic. Okay? And there's some debate as to what that could mean. 
But in the, in the big picture here, kind of looking at the whole package here, yes, it is to pray, it's to anoint with oil, but the point here is that the elders care enough to attend, and in coming, and in attending, and in praying, and in anointing with oil, they are bringing hope and comfort to those who are suffering. This is the kind of comfort that Paul calls for in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 3, you can just listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Did you get that? He comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I know it's just really wordy, but when I'm going through my suffering and my trial and I'm experiencing the comfort of God, that then enables me to comfort other people with the same comfort that I have received in my trial. That's the point. Continue reading. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Did Jesus suffer? Did he? Did he say, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. All right? There are afflictions, there are suffering, there are trials. So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. Now, friends, the fact that Paul suffered expanded his capacity to comfort others. And it should not be surprising to elders or shepherds if they receive a measure of suffering themselves in order to be able to minister to others. It could be suffering for standing firm in the gospel. It could be suffering that comes through loss of a job or persecution at work. It could be suffering that comes for, from caring for parents or loved ones who have Alzheimer's or cancer or some other disease. It could be the, the trial that comes through raising children in a sin-cursed world. But all of that suffering that an elder shepherd may experience is the workroom for caring for the flock in times of their suffering. It isn't that their suffering is identical but that they understand what it means to suffer and how to turn and rest on the gospel and in the Lord Jesus Christ during those times of trial. And so the elder, the shepherd, then is able to come alongside during those times of difficulty. They are instruments of the Holy Spirit who come alongside the believer in times of difficulty, trial, and struggle. Now, friends, this is what the Apostle Paul was doing when he spoke to the Thessalonians. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If, if the elder shepherds 
are, are given this responsibility to care for the flock, that means they're also going to come alongside in caring for the flock and comfort them. But what are they going to comfort them with? Well, what is their other responsibility? It's to feed the flock, right? So they're coming to comfort the flock with what will truly satisfy and help and bring hope to that flock at the particular point in time. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, here's, here's Paul, and he is doing exactly that. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So apparently there were people who were struggling about those who had died. So Paul is saying, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know I want you to be convinced of truth. So here, listen to what I have to say. Verse 14, for since we believe, that believe is not a feeling, that believe is based on fact, that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Ah, okay, I want you to be comforted with this fact. This is going to take place. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now the point here is this. In their case, the facts of God's word altered their grief. They're grieving. What they needed is clarification and the certain facts of God's word so that they would no longer grieve as others grieve who have no hope. They have hope. In other words, they are convinced that good theology extends our hope. And so the elders come alongside the sheep during times of suffering and trial to encourage and point to the comfort that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, anyone here ever been through a trial? Anyone ever, you know, suffer the loss of a, of a parent or a close friend? And you know what? You want the body of Christ to surround you, but sometimes, you, you know, it's a time when you lean on those in church leadership. Help walk me through this. And some of the sweetest relationships are established when a pastor, shepherd, elder, steps into a family's grief and simply seeks to minister and to encourage them through that process. And friends, I tell you what, when you know your elders and your elders know you, it's a very natural process and it's incredibly comforting. But not only that, they comfort their sheep. Um, here, I'll give you that. Not only do they comfort their sheep, not only do they um, know their sheep, um, feed the sheep, guide the sheep, but the last or the, the fifth one here is this, they guard the sheep. They guard the sheep. A good shepherd is always on the alert to danger. He knows the predator. He knows what he looks like. He knows his methodology, and so he is going to act wisely, and he's going to act quickly, and so the, the, this this. This elder shepherd needs to be spiritually awake. He needs to be highly sensitive to the subtle dangers of Satan's attacks. Now, it's hard to be 
on the alert at all times as a shepherd because other ministry is going on. And so there is a need then for, for a plurality to help take care of the protection and the guarding of the sheep. Paul says, Acts chapter 20, verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And that's on the heels of a passage where he's telling them to care for the flock. So elders must not become lazy, undisciplined, prayerless, or weary. They must be alert to guard and protect the flock because there are dangerous teachers and there is dangerous teaching. And this is a huge responsibility on the shoulders of the elders. Back to John chapter 10, just listen to some of the things that Jesus says. I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. Verse 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy I mean, the thief isn't just coming and just, oh, I'm just going to take a little bit. No, he's coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. This is a huge responsibility because those who are thieves, robbers, and wolves can do so much damage to the sheep. And because of that, we're told here, pay pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, this is 1 Peter, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I'm sorry, that's not, that's Acts chapter 20. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. These wolves are called fierce wolves, and it's a reminder that false teachers and false teaching is not a small thing. It is an incredibly difficult thing for elders to watch out for, and it's daunting, it's ongoing, and they are ready to pounce. And we should note that fierce wolves come from both inside and outside the church. And we understand that a wolf is prowling, but we maybe have a harder understanding when a wolf is in sheep's clothing. It's hard to detect. So the elders maintain two essential qualities. They must be spiritually alert and they must be men of courage. Let's just talk a little bit about being spiritually alert and men of courage. To be spiritually alert implies that the elder has the ability to discern truth from deception. They must be working and watching for any signs of trouble or infiltration. Years ago when I was in college, as many of you know, I was a lifeguard. I was a head lifeguard at a a camp and my job was to make sure that no one drowned or no one got hurt. And so although I sat on my high lifeguarding chair with my striped shorts on, you know, doing this thing, right, and drinking my coffee, right, I know it's weird, but um, um, there's a whole theory behind that, but, but the whole time I'm doing that, and the whole time I'm interacting with people, I'm also scanning the whole waterfront. I may be on my chair, I may be talking to someone, but the whole time I'm also scanning, I'm also scanning, and... I had trained five other people to be lifeguards who were stationed in key places to make sure they were constantly gazing over everyone that was in the waterfront. It was at a lake. 
Now, friends, the same idea is going on here, that elders are constantly looking out. You're hearing things on the radio. They're watching what is being said in the context of, of church and the kind of things that are being brought up, the teachings that are being brought up. Not to, not to get on the sheep, not, to, not to, to, to say, oh, you're really a dumb sheep. No, to say, listen, be careful about that teaching because that teaching is not what Scripture says. It's not true, and that will lead to X, Y, and Z. There's a need for elders to be on the alert like that to be spiritually alert, but they also need to be courageous because you could be alert and say nothing. You could be alert and be afraid and intimidated. Shepherds must have the courage to fight fierce predators. Now, shepherd, wolf, which one has the bigger teeth? And do wolves usually, you know, go by themselves? No. I mean, so to go out and take on a pack of wolves was no small thing for a shepherd. It was dangerous. You might even get injured. But why? Because of the sheep. Now, friends, there, there are times when as a shepherd, me and myself, being a pastor teacher in the context of a church, where I will, I will make you aware of a false teacher that is out there under the guise of biblical Christianity, and I do that not because I want to you know, mock and scorn that person, but because I care for you and your growth toward Christ-likeness. That is not me being unloving. That is me being loving. Because God has put me and the other elders in a place where we have a responsibility to guard the flock. Now, it's not every day we're going to be doing that, but if there's a need to, I'm going to do it. And I hope that you understand it's done out of love. Now, I've been in context where there's been a lot of pushback. Oh, you, shouldn't, you should, shouldn't name any names. Well, one of the best ways to help you stop listening to a certain false teaching is to name a name. Avoid this person. Here's why. And if you want to talk more about it, talk to me. And in fact, if you want to talk more about it, then I'm glad I said it, because now I can talk to you about the fact that this is a person that you happen to like. Why? And how does that compare to what we're doing here? So, friends, there's a need to do that, and it really is an act of love on the part of your shepherds. Think about David as a shepherd. What was one of the characteristics and qualities that he had? What did he say to, uh, you know, to, to Samuel when, when he was looking for someone? Well, 1 Samuel chapter 17 says this, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistines to fight with them, for you are but a youth. And he had been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. I don't know when the last time was that you chased down a bear, guys, <laughs> or a lion, and grabbed the sheep out of the mouth. That's courage. That's courage. And that's what God calls someone who is a shepherd to do, to care for the flock. Any surprise that David, even though imperfect, ended up being a shepherd of the flock of God. Because that's what a king was called, was a shepherd. Okay? Caring for the flock, Israel, in that context. So shepherds are not afraid to warn the flock. They're willing to go after them. Uh, that go after, say, the false teachers and, and false teaching, okay? And by the way, um, as, as, 
as Paul was writing to, in the book of Acts, as he was speaking to the elders there in Acts chapter 20, is it any surprise that when we get to um, 1 Timothy, that the people in Ephesus, the elders in Ephesus, have to deal with the likes of Hymenius and Alexander, who were introducing controversies from within the church. They did. They had to do that. And when we get to the book of Revelation, what happens to the church in Ephesus? They had left their first love. There are implications here on elders for the care of the flock. Number six, they intercede for the sheep. They intercede for the sheep. This is all about prayer. Now, there's a reason why this is listed last on the list. It's not because it is less important but that it is the fruit of all that has come before it. Let me explain. When the elder shepherds are careful to know their sheep, when they have been faithful to feed them, to lead and guide them with the word God, when they have counseled and comforted and guarded them, then they'll have been in the trenches with them and able to know the various needs of the sheep. The more they shepherd, the more they recognize the needs that the sheep have. Now, friends, for a number of years, um, I have prayed this prayer. I'm thankful. I, I, I found someone using this analogy, and I turned it for me personally during a time of, of great pastoral trial, and I put this in the front of this little journal that I have, and this is what it says. Lord, help me to be a faithful expositor of your word and to love your people so much that I smell like sheep. Now, I don't want anyone sniffing around me this morning. But you get the point of what's going on. It really encompasses the things that we've talked about. A faithful expositor of the Word of God. The ministry of the Word is so critically important for the pastor, teacher, elder, shepherd, as well as smelling like sheep. And that fleshes out in all sorts of different contexts that we talked about here. But friends, there is not only these six responsibilities, there, there is also a goal uh, it would be remiss of me to not take us to the goal here before we close. And so join with me, if you would, please, to go to the, the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 24. Your handout there has, I think, from verse 28 on. But listen to verse 24 and following. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am willing, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's the goal. The goal of every elder, the goal of every shepherd is by virtue of exercising all those responsibilities that those under their care would be mature in Christ. Now, what does that mean? I would put it this way. They have prepared the sheep for eternity. They've equipped them, they've taught them, they've ministered the word, they've surrounded them, they've been been there, they protect, they've done all those different things and they have prepared the sheep for eternity. And because that is their goal, they're willing to suffer, to 
proclaim, to warn, and while they, they do that while doing two things that he mentions there in verse 29. For this I toil. And the idea there of toiling is working to the point of exhaustion. They struggle, and it means agonize like an athlete in competition. So when the Apostle Paul says, hey, he who, he who desires the office of a bishop desires a good thing, do you understand the responsibility that is received when someone says, I am willing to serve as an elder and as a shepherd of the flock of God. It is no small responsibility. It is weighty. It is toilsome. It is burdensome. Now, friends, just as we close here, that clock is wrong. Follow my clock. It's still 10 o'clock. Um, uh, some, some things to close here. Here's, here's, our, here's our mission statement, okay? We exist to glorify God by building a community of believers who are actively committed to knowing, applying, and proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about a group of, of, of men who are, we are looking to establish this, uh, this, this plurality of elders who have these responsibilities. And you might be saying, okay, that, these are all things about them. What, you know, why and how do I connect with this? And I, I, I recognize it might be a little difficult. So I want to walk through just the, the, the knowing, applying, and proclaiming dynamics of of what we've just learned. God has put on, the, the, on your shoulders the responsibility to know here. And so God wants you, you as a flock, as sheep, to grow in your knowledge of what a biblical eldership looks like. You need to know. You need to be aware of what true biblical leadership looks like. The winds of human wisdom are always blowing and they blow contrary to God's word. And if the winds of the, uh, of, of the world begin to catch in the sail of the church, our leadership needs to be strong to fight against those winds. This is critically important for the teaching that God wants you to be aware of. Secondly, he, he wants you to know. He wants you then to apply. Ah. Secondly, to apply. Not only do you need to know this, but you need also to take what you have learned and begin to apply it to your own growth in Christ. So do you pray for your leaders? Do you lean on them when you have questions or are uncertain about what God says in his word? Do you share your heart with them so that they know how to pray for you? Do you recognize that God has placed them in your life to care for you and to guide you in, in the paths of righteousness? There's, there's more that we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But there's an application that is directly related to you. You have a responsibility in this process. And finally, the proclaiming part of it. This, one, this might seem a little strange at first, but, but being a part of a church that has a leadership that takes their responsibility seriously and is, uh, it really is an unusual thing. There's something extremely attractive about God's people taking God's words seriously and seeking to be faithful to his guidance and instructions, there is something incredible to proclaim. And friends, this is all part of the good news of the gospel. Part of the good news of the gospel, yes, is that you are saved, you're reconciled to God, but this is part of the benefits of the good news, that you are brought into the body of Christ local, and in that local body of Christ, there are leaders who care about your growth in Christ Jesus.
Friends, that's good news. Because if you simply had a leadership that wanted to fill the pews, it would be a whole different paradigm. If you just had leaders that wanted to, you know, have a bigger building or somehow, you know, have a name in the community, it would be a completely different paradigm. But what we're trying to do here is what God calls for the leaders of the church to do, and that is to care for the flock. And that is good news, friends, because there are people in leadership that care for you. And that's what we want to see established in his church here at Gateway Bible Church. Lord, help us today to consider the weight of this responsibility. Lord, there is a sense in which I, as a pastor, can look at these areas of responsibility, and it's, it's, Lord, it's so much like a woman coming to Proverbs 31 and saying, I just don't measure up. There's so much work that I need to do to be effective and skillful in these areas. And Lord, I, I just ask that as a church that we would be a team together to, to identify and recognize and see men of, of this kind of quality who are willing to step in and be a part of the oversight and the care of the body of Christ. Help us, Lord, to know, help us to apply and Lord, thank you that we can proclaim the good news that we are part of a church that cares to study God's word faithfully and to apply it appropriately. Would you now be glorified as we take these truths and as they marinate in our hearts, Lord, may we rejoice that we're serving a faithful God like you. We ask this in your name. Amen.